read all of chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. begins with a but, because last week we finished by talking about how prophecy comes from the Holy Spirit, and there's a but now about where false prophecy comes from. So we're reading from verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false, false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud.
Thanks, Gareth. Why did you give me those eyes as I got up to preach on this passage? It's tricky, isn't it? My name's Mark. I'm one of the elders here. And our Pastor John is away uh, today. He is in Albury, uh, making sure a brand new Presbyterian minister is not a false teacher. And we are here reading this passage about false teachers. So we'll need some help, I think, won't we? Let me pray for us to begin. Thank you, our loving Father, for speaking to us in your scriptures about your Son. Please, by your Spirit, help us see the gospel here and protect us from false teaching. Amen. Well, what would you do if I got up here and started teaching wrong things about Jesus? John's not here. Who's going to stop me? Is Kate going to come and crash tackle me? No. Which one? Which 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 of you are going to be sitting there with furrowed brows? You know, not wanting to crash tackle me, but just wishing Kate will crash tackle me. Which of you would be thinking, actually, well, maybe maybe th this preacher who's standing up there, maybe he does actually know what he's talking about. Maybe I'm the one who's wrong. Yeah, which of you would actually not notice at all? Things about uh, good false teaching is that uh, it's really hard to notice when it happens. And uh, if, if some of you did notice, well, it's 2023, people. Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? How dare you say that I'm wrong? What an intolerant thing for you to do. Even if we think someone is a false teacher, we're so ill-equipped to know how to deal with it because in our culture, we're so afraid to judge others. We're so afraid to stir controversy or to challenge other points of view. And we've convinced ourselves that tolerance is the highest good. So rather than challenge someone who might be wrong, we just think maybe it's better to just let them be wrong because really, what harm is that going to do? And I'll do more harm if I question them. So what would you actually do if I got up here and started teaching false things about Jesus? I think we need help, don't we? To know what to do with false teachers in the church. This is just what the Apostle Peter does for us in chapter 2 of his letter today. In chapter 1, last week, Peter was urging us to hold on to the truth of the gospel that saves us, and we know this gospel in the trustworthy scriptures. And now in chapter 2, Peter warns us about false teachers who do not hold to the trustworthy scriptures and who do not hold on to the gospel of Jesus. And uh, Peter will tell us how to spot false teachers. There's an outline for you on the screen, which is different to your outline in here because I got it wrong in here, but the one on the screen is correct. Point, point number one will be what false teachers say. Point number two, what false teachers do. And point number three, what God is doing about it. So point one, how to spot false teachers. Point one, you listen to what they say. Listen to what they teach. And Peter's very negative about the false teachers here, isn't he? He says uh, there are four things about what false teachers say that it's worth noticing. First of all, Peter equates false teaching with heresy. With heresy. Heresy is a strong belief that uh, uh, is uh, strongly at odds with like, accepted doctrine. And he comes straight out with it in verse 1. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, but there were also false prophets among you, just as there will be uh, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. This is a very serious charge. These people are teaching things strongly at odds with, orthodox, with orthodoxy. 
And uh, to do so, what does he say it is? Destructive. Instead of building the church up in faith, false teachers tear the church down, destroy the church. Sometimes false teaching comes in like a wrecking ball, doesn't it, and uh, destroys the pillars of, uh, of faith on which the church is built. Very early in church history, one wrecking ball came through the heresy of Marcion. Marcion lived in the second century. He taught, see what you think of this, he taught that the God of the Old Testament was wicked and there was a different God in the New Testament who was good. So he taught the Bible was a story of wicked Yahweh versus good Jesus. What do you think of that? I'm going to call that heresy. Uh, it's a wrecking ball that comes through and destroys the church. It takes out the Old Testament and a lot of the New Testament as well, actually. It uh, tells you that there are two gods, not just one God. It tells you that God is evil. That is a wrecking ball to the faith of the church. And it sounds to me just like what Peter describes these heresies as. Towards the end of verse 1, he says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Heresy denies the Lord or truths about the Lord. So how do you spot a false teacher? The first thing Peter tells us is false teachers say heretical things. And false teachers also say blasphemy. Blasphemy. Verse 12, verse 12, he says, but these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. Blasphemy is slandering God. The second half of verse 10 will tell us a bit. Second half of verse 10, he says, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. I'm not sure exactly what they're saying or who these celestial beings are, but they're heaping abuse. This is what uh, false teachers do. Marcionism was pretty abusive towards God, calls him evil. That's blasphemous. And don't you think that's serious? We're, we're scared to insult another human, even if we think that they are a false teacher. And we will apologize profusely just in case we might have accidentally offended someone. But these false teachers, they are happy to slander God. So how to spot a false teacher? False teachers speak heresy. False teachers speak blasphemy. And false teachers also speak false promises. Peter tells us that um, false teaching sounds attractive. It sounds enticing, but it's, but it's actually empty because it cannot deliver what it promises. Uh, look at verse 18. Verse 18, he's talking about the false teachers, and he says, they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And this is a bit tricky, isn't it? Because I think the true gospel is enticing. And it does make promises of freedom. It does give true freedom in Christ. The key, I think, is that the true gospel can deliver on its promises because the true gospel's promises are founded on the work of the Lord Jesus. But false teaching makes promises based on other things. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, in their greed, 
these teachers will, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not, let's not go to verse three. Let's, uh, let's think about uh, the false promises that uh, false teaching makes. And uh, one common one is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a common false teaching today that makes promises that uh, faith leads to material blessing. It promises freedom from poverty, but it can't deliver on these promises because the prosperity gospel is not based on the promises of the Lord Jesus to his followers. In fact, the Lord Jesus kind of makes the opposite promises that uh, uh, following him will be hard. So the prosperity gospel promises freedom, but actually just enslaves people to greed and to lust. And this is what all false teaching does. According to the apostle Peter, it entangles people in corruption and it drags people away from the Lord Jesus. This is what he means, I think, in verse 20. He says in verse 20, uh, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it, in the corruption of the world, and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, than to have turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. Yuck, just like you return to the corruption of the world and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. False teaching is just vomit and mud. It does not nourish you, and it does not wash you. So how to tell false teachers? You listen to what they say. They speak heresy, they speak blasphemy, they speak empty promises. And fourthly, uh, what they say, false teaching is not biblical. They say things not from the Bible saw last week in chapter one that uh, we can trust the apostolic and prophetic words of scripture. These words in the Bible are reliable and it's noticeable, I think, in chapter two of 2 Peter, when Peter's talking about false teachers, he's not describing people who are trying to understand the scriptures. He's not describing people who are wrestling with what the Bible says. No, he's describing people who make stuff up. And this is verse three. Verse 3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. False teaching is not biblical, it is invented. You won't find the prosperity gospel in the Bible. The prosperity gospel was invented last century when consumerism was taking over the Western world. And people started claiming that Jesus was actually rich, did you know? And that his donkey that he rode on, that was like driving a Cadillac in the ancient world. They're making it up. You can tell a false teacher by what they say. They deny the Lord who bought them. They slander the true and living God. They make empty promises and they're just making stuff up. So we can tell a false teacher by listening to what they say. But Peter gives us another metric as well. This one might be more helpful for us. How to tell a false teacher, point two, you tell them by what they do and how they live what false teachers do. And the reason what false teachers do is so important is because their message is shaped by their morals. Their morality shapes their message. They teach false things 
because they don't like what the Bible says about how to live in God's world. So look at how Peter describes the morality of the false teachers. In verse 2, he says, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Depraved conduct. Look at verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. And then what does he call them? Bold and arrogant. Look at verse 3. Pick up halfway, oh, verse 13. Halfway through verse 13. He says, their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. That's strong, isn't it? And then in verse 15, uh, Peter compares them to Balaam. That's a story in Numbers about a guy who's on his way to curse God's people. And back in chapter 1, Peter had said that God's great and precious promises give his people an escape from corruption, an escape from corruption in the world caused by evil desires. But here, Peter describes the false teachers as enslaved to their evil desires. In verse 19, he says, they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So that in verse 20, he describes them as having escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but they are again entangled in it and are overcome. Peter thinks that false teachers are not good people, doesn't he? They never stop sinning. And their morality is their motivation for preaching false doctrine. Look at their motivation. In verse 3, Peter says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you. Exploit people because of greed. Verse 14, they seduce the unstable. Verse 18, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They want people to join them in their immorality, and so they slander God, and they, and they make false promises. And I think they're teaching, probably, that there's no judgment, that Jesus is not going to return to judge the living and the dead, and therefore people are free to do whatever you want there will be no consequences for it you can tell false teachers by what they do by how they act because their morals shape their message so we have to be careful don't we that our message shapes our morals we have to make sure that our doctrine is shaped by the bible and not by our culture's moral standards when churches affirm same-sex marriage as good they don't do so because they've been reading their Bible. They do so because our, sex, uh, our secular, secular morals have shaped their message. One Australian commentator calls them secular morals. We have to make sure our gospel message is what shapes our morals and not the other way around. Because when your morals shape your message, you end up with false teaching. So we can tell a false teacher by listening to what they say and by watching what they do. 
And we want to know, don't we, what, what do we do with false teachers? I want to know what to do now. If I hear a false teacher in church, should I get up and crash tackle them out of the pulpit? Well, um, Peter doesn't really tell us what we should do about false teaching, does he? But he does tell us what God is doing about it. And this is our third point, what God is doing about false teaching. When we know what God is doing about false teaching, well, that helps us know how to respond as well. And God is doing two parallel things about false teaching. Firstly, God condemns false teachers and he will judge them according to their works. It's uh, verse 3, pick it up halfway through verse 3. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. And then at the end of verse 12, Peter's confident that the false teachers will perish. And in verse 13, he says, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. So what is God doing about false teaching? God will judge false teaching. And the second thing that God is doing in parallel with this is rescuing his people who suffer under false teaching. False teaching will not win in the church. In verses 4 to 8, uh, we've got a, a bunch of examples piled up from the Old Testament. We read about Noah earlier, and uh, these examples are of God judging the unrighteous but preserving the righteous. All these examples. So in Genesis 6, God judged the unrighteous world but protected Noah, and all of these examples kind of pile up to make the point in verse 9. Uh, verse 9, if this is so, that God judges the unrighteous but preserves the righteous, if this is so, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. He's done it a million times before. He'll do it a million times again. When you are being fed by false teaching or being manipulated or being enticed by false promises, enticed to immorality, Peter would say, cling to Jesus because God knows how to rescue the godly from those trials. And when you see false teachers get their TV shows and the big houses and their private jets, we'll know that that's not a sign of God's blessing on them because we have this reliable apostolic word here that actually they are under God's judgment. They preach that God will not judge, but 2 Peter teaches that God is holding the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And so we should be careful who we listen to. It is a serious mistake to listen to a false teacher. And it's a tragedy when false teaching infects a church and we should be on our guard against it. This is why theological education takes so many years. It is important to train people who teach. And also, this is what someone told me after the 9 a.m. service. We need to look after John. John's our, our teaching elder, and we've got to look after and pray for our teaching elder, don't we? We've got to make sure that he has enough energy to teach well, enough time to teach well, enough resources to teach well, make an investment in our church and buy John a book. Pray for him that he might teach us well. 
But 2 Peter also shows us that the accusation of false teaching, it's a very serious accusation indeed. And people are all over social media calling each other false teachers and calling each other heretics. But let me make this appeal. Please be careful who you label a false teacher. 2 Peter, I think, helps us tell the difference between a false teacher and someone who's just mistaken. Because sometimes people are mistaken. Sometimes people express things poorly. Sometimes people are naive. Not all wrong teaching is false teaching. So you can relax if you've been teaching kids' church and you think, oh, I accidentally said the wrong thing. You're probably not a false teacher. You can relax because not all wrong teaching is false teaching. And similarly, there are things that we can disagree on as brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they don't all rise to the level of false teaching either. We are Presbyterians, so we have a, a board of elders down the road of the Anglicans, and they have a bishop, and that's okay. They're just mistaken. And, and we pray for them. But that's not something to divide over, is it? In fact, we remain united because of our unity in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We remain united. These are not issues that uh, rise to the level of false teaching. So let's be cautious, shall we, about labelling people false teachers, particularly ourselves. Because we know we can, we can rest in the grace of the Lord Jesus. We know because of the reliable scriptures that he truly died for us. That he definitely was raised to new life so that we might have new life as well. We know he's truly coming back to judge the living and the dead. We know false teaching will not prevail. And we know he truly knows how to rescue his people from trials. Even when we're wrong, Jesus shows us grace. And so we can be confident to come to him in prayer. Let's pray together now. Now, loving Father, we praise you for your kindness to us in preserving us through trials. Please protect us from false teaching. Please prevent St. Aidan's and our teachers from teaching falsely. Father, may we always rest secure in your grace to us in the Lord Jesus. Amen. In Christ alone our hope is found. Please stand and sing with us. Thank you.